This could be it. This could be the end of the season. Could be. It very well could be. You thought about that? No. We talk all year, and this is it. November 1st, Wednesday, FT Live, Braun Frazier, AJ, Kratz, and the Texas Rangers are one win away from their first World Series title in franchise history. But before all of that, how was everyone's Halloween? Did you guys have fun? Did you guys end up dressing up, Kratz or AJ? I know Todd Father did. We're going to show his his works in a sec. AJ, your kids don't make you dress up? They're too old? No. Dude, my kids are old. Yeah. I mean, my kids, not my kids, high school. My kids went through the phase already where they dressed up, then they thought it was uncool, and then they dressed up again. All right. Well, Travis Kelsey in the house. Look at Adam Jones. <laughs> I love that. that <laughs> Who the hell is that guy? Ronald McDonald? That was me, baby. <laughs> did you work the drive-thru at McDonald's? Yeah, I did. I oh, did. my gosh. I know Praise, how many Halloween dresses did you have? There's two, two, baby. Hey, we get into it over here, bro. We, we're, not, we're, not, we're not scared over here. We get after it. And Jason Kipnis was on the World Series postgame show with us, but before that, he played – uh, what's the King Triton? King Triton, Triton. or his niece? The holidays, man. Have some fun with it. This is this is what it's. I wore a super bright orange sweatshirt and got comments on the plane that I was on. They were like, "Oh, Halloween sweatshirt." I was like, "Yeah, sure." You, the two big guys, they could be so <laughs> such good costumes and and people or characters. Like, could your size? Like, it would be unbelievable. Like, I can. Kratz and AJ, you'd look good in a lot of different costumes. Kratz, you could have been like Thor, like Syndergaard or something. I would have liked to be. I would like to have been Mr. Clean. Oh, yes. Solid. Yes. AJ, have you ever had a good costume? Yeah. I used to dress up with my kids when they were younger, but now they're too cool to hang out with dad dressed up. So now I just <laughs> yeah, don't worry about it. not cool. Now I'm the I driver. With you, AJ. I'm, I'm the driver now. I drive them. You could drive right. me too. Okay. Yeah, it's not that fun. I guess you could dress up as a chauffeur, a chauffeur. But anyway, let's let's get to World Series biz. Let's charge the damn mound, shall we? And AJ, I think you should kick this off because we spoke about this game right after it happened for about thirty minutes, and we talked about this guy, but probably not enough. So, who was the unsung hero of Game Four for the Rangers? Heaney, Heaney, giving them five innings. I did set some up yesterday. Now it helped they were up winning ten to nothing, but. Heaney giving him five innings, and then Heaney set him up for today in case of all the falters, and Bruce Bochy has all his A relievers to go to today. Uh, I still don't know why he brought LeClerc in with a six-run lead. Even Will Smith, I don't know if you guys saw the, the video of him going like, what the fuck are you doing? Leave me in. But, you know, six-run lead, veteran reliever, figured he could get one more out, but Bochy didn't think so. So, uh, for me, it's Heaney. There's no doubt it's, it's Andrew Heaney, what he did, how he was able to give him five innings, you know, and, and get him through some spots. and save the guys for game five and possibly going farther if it gets past game five. That's a good call. Um, yeah, I, yeah. No, because listen, and you see it from the other way, like the Diamondbacks, they didn't waste any time of getting guys in and out of there. And it hasn't been seen where a guy comes in and throws that many innings. You did John Gray came in. I think he threw um, three innings the other day. And then mm -hmm. you got this guy stepping up. I think that's a great call by AJ because that saves the pitchers, that saves, uh, you know, the, the, the bullpen, I should say, not the pitchers, the bullpen. And now you got all your horses going into uh, game five here too as well. So it's looking pretty good for the Rangers. Crazy things have happened. You know, they're missing two guys, so we'll see. Rarely can a team in a situation like this lean – I mean, baseball, it's, it's a team sport. But the Diamondbacks season right now hinges on Zach Gallon. What Zach Gallon does after what happened last night, the overhit on what we thought was going to be the amount of pitchers used, I think it was 13. And when you use that many pitchers, both sides, I get it. The Diamondbacks didn't use their top three guys, and the Rangers kind of used LeClerc. I mean, they used him, but not, not excessively. Tonight, it's all about how Zach Gallon picks up what the bullpen couldn't do last night at all. What about the injuries? So no more Scherzer for this round. We saw Brock Burke appear and eat up some innings. Obviously, you know, had some trouble there. Whatever. They won the game. And then Ezekiel Duran replaces Adolis Garcia, who actually had a little speech for the team, apparently, that they liked. And, you know, he was pissed that he doesn't get to kind of finish this ride with them, but said, finish it for us. 
Oh, Travis Jankowski, by the way, was a nice little game for Texas. <laughs> Couple knocks. I mean, he's going to handle things out there. He doesn't have the Adolis arm, but he's fast as shit and actually can be a pain in the ass on the bases, too. Yes. Listen, can we, he is, can we go he floats. Go ahead. You got it. Oh, can we go back to that second inning? How big that was. They got the his five, knock up the middle. Not, not even that. I want to go to Leotis Tavares. Like the, the single that kind all right, the wild pitch, they got the one run, but. If we're looking for another guy that, you know, kind of kick-started that inning in the middle of the inning, that was a huge walk. And then Travis comes up with the big single. I mean, those are two monster bats there from the bottom of the lineup. And then Simeon, triple. Then at Homer. I mean, 5 nothing. That was game over right there. So mm -hmm. I think that was the biggest play of the game. All right, nice. You get the wild pitch. Momentum swings your way. But, man, you get up to that top of the order, and all of a sudden Marcus Simeon takes off and starting to dominate like we know he can. Two guys right there, unsung heroes, especially in that game four. Yeah, and then Seager. Mm. Um, <clears throat> why, are we, why are we pitching to Corey? That was my big theme last night. Oof. Someone else has to beat me if I'm Arizona. And it doesn't matter if it's a lefty or righty pitch. <laughs> no. Guy is they actually on. said something. Did you guys hear that when he, when he hit the homer and then he went back into the dugout and they picked someone up saying something about a lefty? They were like, oh, they gave you a lefty or something like that. They're like, the lefty. Did you guys hear that? The mic picked it up in the dugout on Fox. It I didn't hear great. it. It was great. They're like, oh, cool. They think they can get you with a lefty. It was like what you mentioned, Kratz. Same thing with Jordan Alvarez. Oh, okay. Let's bring in the same you know middle lefty mm -hmm. reliever. To try and get Jordan Alvarez, how's that been working out? Not, not well, not well. And he, when he hit that, I was like, "Oh, that's in the gap." And then it was like, "Oh, it's got to get up." Oh my! It almost hit that like second level that they have up there in in Arizona, there in deep center. I mean, it was it was crunched, and and I, I just don't understand. Yeah, I've said this down blue in the face. I don't understand how you can keep just bringing in guys that are not good matchups. Don't, just don't bring those guys in. They set it up for you with, you know, how they set their lineup. If you think Carter is going to be the guy that you're going to get out in that situation because he's got one hit against lefties, fine. But you cannot let Seager beat you. But, hey, you know what? On, on to the next MVP trophy for him. <laughs> True. Also, you know, I'm wondering how much we should be talking about home field advantage in the playoffs these days because it hasn't been a factor in our game it feels like for a while and even when it felt like it was going to be a big factor we talked up philly a lot they end up losing two games at home to arizona to lose that series so here's your updated math aj road teams in the playoffs are 25 and 15 and actually if you take out the rangers it's 500 because the rangers are freaking 10 and 0 mm. on the road but still 25 and 15 on the road I kind of feel like maybe I want to play on the road. Maybe maybe there's less distractions. I don't know. I mean, usually, that's that's massive. Usually there is less distractions on the road, especially in the playoffs, because you get less ticket requests, you get less things. And and the traveling secretary, the team director of team travel, whatever they're called now, they usually take care of the families. They do all the plane flights and they do all the hotels. And it's much easier when you're at home. You got people calling you. Hey, can I get tickets? Can I get tickets? You're like, hey, look, you didn't ask me a month ago. No chance. So uh, I think home field advantage in baseball is probably the most overrated thing there is i mean ask, ask the houston astros who were under 500 and still won the division but it is it is not as big of a deal as home ice and hockey home field and football home court and basketball it, it doesn't get swayed as much because every team still has the advantage and people say oh you get to bat last but if you're losing by 10 to 2 in the ninth inning does it matter if you hit first or last i mean that doesn't really matter so for me it's always kind of been like that i think it got blown out of proportion a little bit but Home field doesn't mean a whole lot in baseball. Hmm. Yeah, I'm with you. Well, also, you know what I think is being kind of overplayed in, um, in general in the playoffs these days. So I was listening to Eno Sars. He's been on our show before, right? Have you read some of his work? Eno's really good analytically, um, writer, but also really good on pitching mechanics. He has the Stuff Plus uh, metric that he uses a lot for pitcher stuff. So he said that there's been research on relievers over the last few years. And a few things stood out to me. One, he said relievers get worse throughout a season. 
Like the more they're used throughout a year in the regular season, the worse they're going to be in terms of the effectiveness of their stuff. That makes sense. It is definitely also proven in numbers that they are worse on back-to-backs and then back-to-back-to-backs. And the one that stood out to me the most is, he said, this is fresh. This is Sabre research. Um, that a reliever will get worse as the series continues, which we talk about a lot on this show. Obviously, you get to see a guy over and over again. But they actually said that, it is worse to have a reliever continue to um, get seen by the same hitters than the advantage for a hitter on a pitcher the third time through. So if I'm looking at, does that make sense? So if I'm, so yeah. the, when, when people are like, oh, third time through, can't have our, our starter in. Yeah, I mean, yeah. your starter might not be that good. We have a lack of great quality starters in the bigs in general. You know what's worse? If you keep throwing the same damn relievers out for you know five out of seven games in the series, Guys like you are going to eventually figure it out. Well, it, it's consistencies. It, it's uh, what they've been throwing you. So it's like, you know, these two guys on the screen here, they keep throwing me fastball inside or away with two strikes. Well, eventually I'm going to catch up to that. And, you know, and if I'm not hitting in the beginning, but that third or fourth time I see it, all right, well, I might guess on a pitch here and I'm not going to miss this one. You know, so it's like as, as you get wiser and as you, the more you see somebody as a hitter and you're a professional hitter, you're going to catch up to that. I don't care if you're the best pitcher in the league. And, you know, the overpowering stuff's not going to be that, that overpowered. Mm-hmm. I, don't, I don't know how you can combat that, AJ, but it sounds like something that should be worked on by teams to be able to build their playoff rosters. I, I know what weird, you're going to say. What am I going to say? <laughs> the show starters how to go deeper into games? Yes, develop better starting pitching. Then you don't have to use the relievers as much. Man, it's weird, Scott, how that works. But, you know, I'm just the old guy, get off my lawn. Uh, I mean, I don't mind the opener every once in a while. I don't mind certain things, but develop better starting pitching. And then we don't have a game four matchup, Joe Mantiply versus Andrew Heaney. Heaney pitched great, but, you know, you, you miss you miss the, the bullpen days if you can develop enough starting pitching. And the one thing we thought about the Rangers, they had enough starters. And guess what? Good thing they have Andrew Heaney. Good thing they have Dane Dunning. Dane Dunning. Good thing they have Martin Perez on these rosters because they've had a plethora of injuries, DeGrom, Scherzer, Whoever it is, these guys have all gone down at one time or another. So good for the Texas Rangers for continuing to stockpile starting pitchers, bringing in Avaldi before the year, bringing in Montgomery in the middle of the year, bringing in Scherzer in the middle of the year, bringing in DeGrom to start the year. I mean, these are all starting pitchers that have done stuff for them and help them get to this point. And no one, if you would have said going into game four, Andrew Heaney, give you five innings, people said, oh, man, they're in trouble. Well, guess what? They're up 3-1. And they're probably going to win it tonight and go home celebrating a World Series trophy. Here we go. FT Live on Stadium. Big crew today. Braun, Frazier, Pruszynski, Kratz, and Ken Rosenthal back at it with us. Ken, first off, just in general, your thoughts on that game four. Were you surprised how much of a blowout it was early on and how much damage the Rangers were able to do against the Arizona bullpen? All with two outs, too. Of course I was surprised. No one expected it to be 10 nothing after three innings, and that's what it was, Scott. So... Yeah, I thought it would be a closer game. Basically, I thought it would be like a 9-8 game, which is sort of what it became in the end, 11-7. But it did surprise me to see Arizona's pitching staff just have no ability to hold down the Rangers. And it was impressive to see the Rangers do what they did on a day they lost Adolis Garcia and also Max Scherzer. They came out and played a fantastic game. I will say, we got to give Ken credit here, AJ. You heard it. Ken said, I expect a high-scoring game. How'd that well, that's go? Why, that's why we all took the over. <laughs> that was helpful. That was helpful. Ken nailed it on that front. Okay, so let's project it forward. Game five, we've got the starters flipping back with Evaldi going up against Zach Allen. I know these guys have their own questions. The main theme that I keep bringing up is the best hitter, and especially the best clutch hitter right now in the sport, I guess you could make a case for Jordan Alvarez, but besides him, Corey Seager. I mean, the dude is incredible in October. He's done this in a prior World Series as well. Why are they pitching to him? Why are they throwing pitches over the zone to also a guy who will swing out of the zone? And even if he does do that and make contact, your quality of contact is probably not going to be as likely to be a home run. Scott, this is baffling to me as well. I wrote about it. I don't remember which game, but... It was one of the games in which he crushed a first-pitch fastball. And it was actually game one when Seawald gave up the home run, the game-tying home run. I said, why are they throwing him first-pitch fastballs? And I know Seawald has a fastball and one other pitch, and that's it. I get it. But 
why go in the zone? And that's my question. I would try to get the chase, even if it means falling behind 1-0. And I know, obviously, pitchers aren't perfect. They'll miss while trying to go maybe up and away or whatever. But it's baffling to me that that's the position that pitchers put themselves in because he does so often swing at the first pitch. I ran some numbers. He has the most or the highest rate of first pitch swings since coming into the league, something like that. And that's how he rolls. It seems to be working for him. If I were a pitcher, I wouldn't be going anywhere near the zone. I talked about um, earlier in the playoffs. I said the big one of the bigger keys is going to be the bottom of the lineup on on all these teams. You know, everybody has their one to th- three starting pitchers that are really good. They have their top guys that can hit, but the bottom of the lineup is going to have to come through. When I think of Texas, I think of Josh Young. I I, I think of um, Evan Carter, who was down there. Now he's up. Now you got a guy like Travis Jankowski who's got to step up for for Garcia, you know, being hurt. So for him coming up big there yesterday was unbelievable. Uh, talk to us about that bottom of the lineup and, you know, how surprising it's been. Well, they have a very deep lineup one to nine, especially when Garcia is healthy. It's one of their trademarks, their hallmarks. They are very deep offensively. They can do a lot of different things with a lot of different players. Leone Tavares is the guy who bats ninth for the most part, and he is an interesting offensive player. He can do some things. He's drawn some big walks in this series. He can hit the ball out of the park, and he's hitting ninth. So Jankowski yesterday, obviously replacing Garcia, he's not going to be able to do that. He's got 10 home runs in his career and about 1,500 at-bats. Garcia had eight home runs in the postseason before getting hurt. But Jankowski is the kind of player – that I know you guys like. He can do a lot of different things. Offensively, defensively, base running. He is a dynamic guy who can really help a team win in any number of ways. And yesterday you saw his first two at-bats, two strike, uh, I'm sorry, two out hits, and one drove in two runs. So good for him. He's had a long journey. He's been kind of a journeyman in his career, but He has been well-liked and respected wherever he's been, and that's the case in Texas as well. And that speaks to their whole team. They have this next-man-up mentality that I said this on the air last night. I know it can be a cliche, but with them it's a reality, and that's the way they've been all year long. Remember, they lost DeGrom. They lost Seager twice. They lost Haim and Young and a number of players all season. One after another, different injuries taking place, and yet they always seem to have answers. And that's why they're one win away from being World Series champions. Let's talk about smart money. All right. Let's talk about the fact that they obviously they signed Seeger and Simeon maybe a year too early before they actually needed, thought they could win these games. They're quite, you wrote, you wrote in an awesome article about talking about how they impact things. Obviously, you wrote out their numbers and you said, how they're quiet leaders, how there's so many that they lead by example on and off the field. Who are the leaders in that clubhouse? Because so many teams want to talk about that. That's the first thing the high money teams talk about. Mets didn't make it. Oh, there must be something wrong in the clubhouse. Padres didn't make it. Something wrong in the clubhouse. Do they have leaders that are the vocal leaders if these two guys are the quiet ones? I don't know that they have a vocal leader. They have these two guys who are – stoic and lead by example types now obviously they can pull a player aside and i'm sure they both do that from time to time but they are definitely in the lead by example category garcia is not necessarily a leader eric but he is like a glue guy in that room he gets along with everyone he has and brings a lot of positive energy that the players all talk about he is beloved in that clubhouse And then you have other guys like Garver and Heim who are just solid professional players and there's leadership in that as well. So I don't know that they have the guy. They've got a manager who's a great leader in his own right with his calm demeanor and the way he just handles a game and sees everything and just keeps things under control. So it's not necessarily one guy the way I see it, but... Those two guys, the most interesting quote I thought in the article was from Travis Jankowski, who said, they make our rookies better. I wish when I was a young player, I had that kind of example to follow. It's like, watch us, watch the drive that we bring every day, 
watch how we go about our business. And that's the way Marcus Simeon and Corey Seager are. Marcus Simeon never misses a game, right? He, he has missed, I think, four games the last five years, something like that, not counting the shortened season. And Corey Seager, not as durable, obviously, but he is a guy who, when he is healthy, certainly plays every day. You saw last night, he looked uncomfortable on the home run swing. I don't know what it was, but he stayed in the game. And he's just a guy that, in these moments, seems to shine. Now, I know some of his postseasons with the Dodgers weren't as good as this one. I get it. Nobody's great every single year in the postseason. So, Dodger fans need to cool it a little bit with that. But, my goodness, he was amazing in the 2020 playoffs. NLCS MVP, World Series MVP. He's been amazing in these playoffs as well. Yeah, but Ken, that was in a bubble. 2020 was in a bubble. It doesn't count, right? That's what people say. Yeah, right. Some could argue, <laughs> AJ, that that was even a more difficult circumstance. I know it was the shortened season, and the Dodgers will never get past that until they win one in a full season. But there were challenges that season that obviously were unique in the game's history. Okay, so so Ken, I, I know we're talking heavy Rangers because they're one to win away, but how did the Diamondbacks get back into this series? Besides Zach Gallon going out and throwing a gem, what else do the Diamondbacks need to happen in order to make this go back to Texas and maybe get it to a six and a seven? AJ, they're an interesting team, right? We saw them fall behind the Phillies 2-0 and 3-2 going back to Philly. Last night, they're down 10-0. They make it 11-7. They have this quality about them where they don't seem to certainly quit or die or whatever word you want to use, which is good. Gallon, it starts with him, obviously. It always starts with the starting pitcher. The one thing I've noticed watching this team play, and I hadn't done it in person much until this World Series, they lack that middle-of-the-order thumper, the guy that you're really afraid of. The middle-of-the-order for them is it's Walker, it's Pham, it's that kind of player, which is a good player. Christian Walker and Tommy Pham are really good players, but they're not exactly what you want in that spot. They're not Corey Seager. So... They've got to get back into it with starting pitching, number one. And they have to produce some timely hits. And last night, late innings, they kind of got going. So I don't rule them out. I don't rule out this going back to Texas. And if you get it back to Texas, it's the same logic that applied when they went back to Philly. See what happens. So do you wear a different suit tonight with the chance that there could be some champagne on it? Or do you, got a rain, do you have a rain jacket that you're going to put on? There's no rain jacket, Eric, and this is an issue. Certainly when you go into a post-game clubhouse after a playoff victory, any playoff victory, really, you risk the possibility of getting champagne on your suit. Champagne's not that big a deal. It can be dry cleaned. Gatorade, colored Gatorade, is a bigger deal. And then years ago, the Nationals had a chocolate celebration. And I actually have a photograph of myself interviewing Bryce Harper Max Scherzer pouring chocolate on Bryce's head, and that chocolate got on my suit, and that ruined the suit. So I'm not so worried about tonight, but yeah, there's going to be some action if it happens. <laughs> right, if it happens. Do you think that um, from the bullpens, can teams will look in the offseason at what Texas had and say, hey, maybe their bullpen was not great during the regular season, but they got into the playoffs and because they have starters that they were able to utilize in those spots, it helped obviously pick up the pace. And here's the key that we were talking about in the last segment. You're looking at those guys for a few innings versus an inning of the Arizona Diamondbacks relievers that we saw yesterday that they've already seen a couple times in the series that they'll probably see again. I mean, the main point I brought up, who's a colleague of yours, is Eno Cyrus uh, mentioned some research that it is actually more of a disadvantage if you're in a long series in the playoffs and your relievers continue to get looked at versus the third time through for a starter. So I took that a step further as, hey, if I've got more starters that are like back-end starters, but they've got stuff, or even a number three starter who's just coming back from an injury like John Gray, I throw him in there for a few innings. They're only getting one look at him that, then, maybe again in game seven. Just feel like it's not the same script over and over again if you're in control. Do you know what I'm saying? It's a good point, Scott. And Eno makes a great point as well. I hadn't considered that, that the third time through is – less of a risk than seeing these relievers over and over again. It makes sense if you think about it. The Rangers are a little bit unique in that they loaded up on starting pitching. 
remember, they signed DeGrom for starters. They also signed Heaney and Nathan Evaldi. Then when DeGrom got hurt, they traded for Jordan Montgomery and Scherzer. <laughs> they are in a good position. They already had John Gray. So when it came to this situation, even without DeGrom, once Evaldi got healthy, they had a surplus. And they could put Heaney in the bullpen. They could put Dunning in the bullpen. And ultimately, they could put John Gray in the bullpen as well. And Heaney summed it up really well when I spoke to him about this earlier. I asked him, hey, is this bothering you? You signed a two-year, $25 million contract to be a starter, and you're a reliever. He became a reliever in September after Ivaldi returned from the IL. And he said, listen, this is the way the game works. During the season, the regular season, a team needs eight to ten starting pitchers. During the postseason, that number could reduce to three, maybe four. So what do you do? You stick some of those starters in the bullpen and you make it work that way. Not all teams have that depth. We saw Ryan Nelson last night for the Diamondbacks. Turns out they had some depth that they didn't really necessarily think was going to be as good as the relievers that they had in a closer game. But Ryan Nelson pitched really well over a length of time. So if you have that depth, it's the way to go, no question. Put some starters out there. It's just hard to find teams that have that kind of group. And starters are expensive, right? I mean, yes. it's much cheaper to have a reliever. And, you know, we, we see some teams like the Rays who do a great job in the regular season of bringing relievers out of nowhere into a prominent role, which is great. I look at Chris Young leading the Rangers right now, and I wonder if he's going to start a trend for people in that spot. I mean, Craig Breslow is a former pitcher in the bigs. Are we going to get like this wave again of, of players that kind of hop into front office and lead the charge? Obviously, you have to be able to communicate with many different types of people these days, more than ever, probably to speak different languages of, you know, players, coaches, analytics office, R&D, whatever you want to call it. Right. Um, I'm wondering if people are going to be looking for a Chris Young out there in his style. The Red Sox just did. You mentioned it, Scott. They hired Breslow. And Breslow, of course, is a former Major League pitcher like Chris Young. So obviously it's a copycat game. We know that. And I would expect that teams will look for pitching expertise, as probably they always have. The greater question for me is how do you bring back the starting pitcher? And we talked about this a little bit yesterday. The commissioner has addressed it. The obvious way is to reduce the size of a staff. That way you need more innings out of your starters because you don't have as many pitchers to go to. This needs to happen. And last night was, by today's standards, not an unusual game. But really by the breadth of history, when you look at the game over the decades, it's a very unusual game. And it's not a healthy thing for the sport. Judges kept running out relievers, 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 and cycle through that way. And really, both teams were kind of in that position. Obviously, the Rangers got more length out of Heaney. But Tyler Kepner wrote a really good article today in The Athletic, essentially saying this is not what a World Series game should be about. I would like to see the game get back to the point where starting pitching is valued again. And yes, it is more expensive. But you know what? You'd rather buy a ticket to see a good starting pitching matchup than a bullpen game. So maybe you get the money back that way. Ken, speaking of the bullpen, were you you were at the game last night? Do you have a full makeup crew before the game? Because I'm just no, wondering. BJ. There's a picture of A Rod, and I thought that maybe before A Rod gets his team, that you're in that chair before your one camera hit the first pitch. Could this have been you before? Uh, no, I do my own makeup, and yes, I do apply it. And guess what? I'll give you a little secret, AJ. I apply it underneath the stands, so nobody can see me. So nobody can put it on Twitter or X or whatever you want to call it. So then, if nobody can put it on X or Twitter or whatever you want to call it, A.J. Przinsky can't throw the picture up on foul territory and make fun of me. <laughs> wow that's actually brilliant ken because yeah. you know how many times that i've been at ballparks and i have to like go into the bathroom and there's just a ton of people like what are you doing dude and i'm like hi i'm, I'm going on tv sorry about it so they're like what are, you, what are you putting on your face i have one funny story about this guys this is a funny story i'll leave with this so the makeup case it looks like or not unlike a can of tobacco spitting tobacco or chewing tobacco and one year I have it in my back pocket and I'm walking around batting practice or whatever. And Brian Cashman says to me, hey, you're chewing tobacco? Because he's looking in my pocket and sees the case, which is roughly similar to the chewing tobacco case. 
I said, this is the furthest thing from chewing tobacco you're going to find in baseball. <laughs> and I pulled it out and there was my makeup and that was that. Oh, that's good. That's good. You're right. Right. It's like a little circular. I have it over there. Yeah. I'm yeah. With you. Little, little cup. So, well, I like war that. Paint. You should have been Can like, yeah, Cash, paint. I'm trying to <laughs> war paint. Right. Right. Call it war paint. Well, yeah, you know, he doesn't have five people working on his makeup. So Ken, a man of the people. Ken, have fun. Um, good luck to you and your suit if the Rangers win, okay? Thanks, guys. <laughs> Appreciate you. Ken Rosenthal, you can catch him on Fox tonight for Game 5 and, of course, on Fair Territory. You can look at all the topics that were covered this week. Really good stuff on, on Merrill Kelly, for example. Some insight there. And if you're looking at the offseason already, Juan Soto Talk is in there, too. So, so let's talk about the Cinderella story and see if it continues. John Gambadoro is joining us right now. Longtime afternoon drive sports talk radio host on Arizona Sports 98.7 FM in Phoenix. You got the whole crew here today, John. How you doing? And, and how do you feel like the series is going out there in Arizona? Obviously, I know they're down 3-1 now. Are people having a good time enjoying the ride at least? Because let's be real. How many people had them here? Yeah, not many. Um, first of all, I'm not a nutritionist, so I can't give you any advice. I'm a radio host, but not a nutritionist, so I can't give Lance any advice on what the fuck he's going to eat or anything like that. And I hate social media, even though uh, I use it quite a bit. No, listen, guys, I mean, it, they're a year ahead of schedule. They weren't supposed to be here at this time. Um, a lot a lot went right for them. The Gabby Moreno trade was great. Merrill Kelly's been terrific. The bullpen, which was a disaster, has really worked itself out. I mean, Ryan Thompson was a great find. Nobody wanted him after Tampa cut him. So I think Hazen reworking the bullpen is a big reason why. I'm not surprised they beat Milwaukee. I wasn't surprised they beat the Dodgers like you guys were talking about. The Dodgers didn't have Dustin May. They didn't have Gonsolin. They had to start Kershaw. They didn't have Urias. They didn't have Bueller. So I'm not surprised they beat the Dodgers. I didn't think they'd beat the Rangers. And here we are down 3-1. Hey, John, Todd Frazier here, man. Um, where are you originally from, brother? You got that good, thick accent. You uh, New York area, I would assume? Yeah, and I'm a, I'm a New Yorker, 30 years, Italian New Yorker. I wrote for Newsday um, from like 89 to 97. I moved out here in 97. I've been doing the radio show in Phoenix, Afternoon Drive, ever since. So 27 years of doing the Afternoon Drive show. We, we, uh, we're the home of the D-backs, so we host a weekly segment with Tori Lovello. Uh, we had Evan Longoria on the show yesterday, so... Uh, we're a big baseball show. Me and my partner are huge baseball fans. So we, we focus a lot on baseball. But yeah, I grew up in New York where you played and uh, at one time. And I moved out here in 97 in the desert. Now, are those all New York um, icons back there behind your right shoulder there? No, I got that. Um, I was at the Negro League Museum a while back and I ran into Buck O'Neill and I never ever asked for autographs and uh, I sat down I did about an hour and a half just talking to Buck O'Neill and I I got right. done with that and I said Mr. O'Neill I never do this but I'm gonna run into that shop right there I'm gonna buy a Monarchs jersey I'm gonna have you sign it for me because the guy just blew me away so that's a Buck O'Neill Monarchs jersey I got a Jeter piece it's a 61 Yankees behind me I've got a you know in front of me I got this nice little Joe DiMaggio signed piece that's a cherish to me I grew up a Yankee fan my best moments is a as a baseball fan, obviously, uh, when I was, you know, about 10, 11 years old, Bucky Dent's home run against the Red Sox that got him in the playoffs. Chris Chambliss's home run against Kansas City when the fans ran on the field. So those, those are some of my best memories of being a kid as a Yankee fan. If the Diamondbacks don't win this, you said, uh, you know, they're, they're a year early. They have all these guys coming. They don't win this. You feel like ownership's going to allow Mike Hazen to do what he needs to do? Or are you just hoping that all these guys, the Corbin Carrolls, the Cattell Martes, the Christian Walkers, are all going to improve next year to get you to this spot again? I mean, let's be honest. They, they, they need a number four starter. So they've got to get another starter. Madison Bumgarner didn't work out. I, I give them credit. They might not have made the playoffs if they tried to push Bumgarner another month to see if that would work. So they got rid of him after, what, four starts? Zach Davies didn't work out. So Bumgarner and Davies didn't work out. People say, well, they don't have a fourth starter. They went for Montgomery at the trade deadline. They couldn't get him. They went for Lorenzen at the trade deadline. I think we're glad they didn't get him because, you know, after that, you know, 130 pitch no hitter, he wasn't any good. So I, I think that they've got to go get another starter. I think they'll have the money to do it. And then they need a third baseman. Now you could sit here and say maybe Jordan Lola could play third base. He's that top prospect. 
But, you know, Longoria is going to retire very likely, and Rivera is not the answer. They're set at catcher. I still think they're set at first base. Walker's still a good player. They're set at second. They're set at short. They're set in left, center, and right. The problem is third base and starting pitching. So they've got to go out. They've got to add a starting pitcher, another quality starting pitcher. And they've got to go get a third baseman with a little bit of thump. And I think that they'll have the money to do it. But let's be honest. I mean, they got, what, three, five, six home games here? They're charging dollars $8.50, $1,000 a ticket. They're making a lot of money during this postseason. I think Ken Kendrick will spend that money to upgrade the baseball team. You hope, right? You're hoping. We hope. Yeah, yeah, we hope. We hope. You're hoping. Because there's been some owners that don't necessarily do that. But, but John, my question is, is we're still in this year. We're, we're already jumping ahead to next year like the series is over. How, how do the D-backs win tonight, win game six, win game seven? Like they did in 2001. How do they come back from, from the deck and figure out a way to win this? You got to get to Kelly. You got to – Gallon – listen, Gallon's pitched the, about 240 innings this year. I mean, he's way above what his previous high was, 40, 50, 60 innings more than what his previous high is. So I think he's wearing down. He pitches better at home. He hasn't been the – in the playoffs, he hasn't been the guy that was a Cy Young candidate for most of the year. He's worn down a little bit. But he's still good, and he pitches better in this ballpark. Merrill Kelly, guys, I mean, I don't know. Has there been a better starter in the playoffs than Merrill Kelly? I, I don't think Texas wants to get to him in game six. He's fantastic. So I think if you get to Merrill, if you win today with Gallon, and you've got Seawold, you've got Thompson, you got Ginkle, you're going to have to use those guys. They haven't pitched since game one. You get to Kelly in game six, you feel really good about your chances in game six, just like in Philly when Merrill Kelly won. And then you take your chances in game seven. You know, game seven in Philly – they shut down Harper. They shut down Turner. Uh, they shut down Castellanos. They shut down Schwarber. I, I don't. I, for the life of me, nobody here knows why they're pitching to Corey Seager. I mean, there's a runner on third. You got an open base on first and second. You're down two nothing, uh, three nothing, and you're pitching to Corey Seager. I mean, he's single handedly killing the Diamondbacks. So, not that it might have made a difference, but it is shocking because their approach in Philly with how they went after. And, and, and pitched away from Schwarber, Turner, and Harper is much different than what they're doing with Corey Seager right now. Hey, question for you. So growing up over here uh, in the Northeast, you got Mike Mad Dog Russo. You got all these radio guys screaming and yelling. My question to you is out in Arizona, how have the fans been calling in? How's the questions been this past month? Anything different from uh, the usual norm? No, I, I think – I think the fans are pretty jacked, man. They've sold out every one of these games. They just, you know, it's 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 a different market because, you know, like my kids growing up here, my kids are growing up here, they're Diamondback fans. But a lot of Arizona, you know, a lot of us are from somewhere else. We're from New York. We're from, from Philly. We're from different areas. So we still have ties to our old teams. I think we're going to get there because I think this generation of kids that are growing up, going to the ballpark, watching the games and, and this is a hotbed, Arizona. I mean, my kid's a 15U club baseball player. This is a hotbed for kids playing baseball. So there's a lot of love for the sport of baseball here. The Suns, they may win the championship this year. They were in it a few years ago. They lost to Milwaukee. They were the first. So everybody loves the Phoenix Suns. But I think that this Diamondback team, and I think it's the way they play the game, right? I mean, three sacrifice bunts in one game. I talked to Longoria yesterday. He said he laid that sacrifice bunt down by himself, stealing bases. It's a little bit of a, of a throwback team with the way they're able to play small ball, move runners over, get sack flies, speed, taking first to third. So I think it's a team that a lot of people like, even in the country. I, I, I don't think you can not like this Diamondback baseball team. They play the game the right way. No, it's a fun flavor to watch, fun brand of baseball that they're doing. And, and I think there'll be more teams that play that way and look for players like that and look to build their team that way. So we so. have Paul Seawald. Go ahead. No, I think you're right. I think that it might be a blueprint for some of these teams that can't spend $250 million on a payroll to say, look at what the Diamondbacks have done. Tampa was a great example of how to build a team the right way. But I think what the Diamondbacks have done here – and especially locking Corbin Carroll up a long time. I think with the, I think you're right. I think it could be a blueprint for some of these teams to say, look at the way they play the game. If we get players like that and we do it the right way, we might be able to win, even though we don't have the you know, the Diamondbacks have what, about $120 million payroll? They don't they can't compete with the Texas, Philly, and, and the Astros and some of these teams that they're in the playoffs with, the Dodgers, but they built this team the right way. 
How are they and how are they talked about from an attendance perspective? Obviously, now in the World Series, you're going to sell out. You better sell out in any city. And the crowd was great yesterday, and it was talked about a lot on the broadcast, too. They stuck around. I mean, it's 10 nothing in the third inning, but they stuck around for a while and got a little bit of a show later on in the game. But Paul Seawald, who's probably the best interview on that team, is on with us every few weeks. And I remember, I think it was the end of the season when they were in a playoff push. He was like, we, we got to get a little more fan support. Like, let's go, guys. So how do you think um, it's perceived out there? And also, uh, does any of it have to do with the ballpark? I mean, I, I've been out there. It's a nice ballpark. It's been around for a minute at this point, right? It built it too big. I mean, Jerry Colangelo, when he built the team, he told me at the last minute he had 10,000 more seats. You know, they were going to be about a, you know, a 38 to 42,000 seat stadium. They bumped it up. I mean, they were 48,000. It's too big of a ballpark. They've got to do something. It's, you know, it's, it's 25, 26 years old now. So they need to do something. I would love to see them just, you know, tear down a lot of it, make it a much smaller ballpark, much more confined. I think a good sign was the Dodger series. Usually we've got about 35, 40% of the fans or Dodger fans that come here. I mean, if you guys were at game three here in Arizona, less than 5% of the fans were Dodger fans. So this team is special. The 2001 team that won the World Series, they had some success for a couple of years after that, and then they really struggled. It's tough here because you've got all four major pro teams. you got, you got Arizona State. People will support you if you win, but they're not going to support you if you don't win. You're going to lose 110 baseball games. You're going to have 18,000 on, on a Tuesday night out at the ballpark. That's just the way it is. I hope this team is, is, and I think that they're a special team, that you're going to see a big increase in season ticket sales for the for the next few years. And and I think that the, the game changing too, right? I mean, I, I'm old school. I didn't necessarily want all the changes, but two and a half hour baseball game is in line with what a, a basketball game is or what a football game is. So I think people are liking the fact that they can come to a baseball game and feel like, okay, I'm going to be out there in two and a half hours. A younger generation, I mean, I'm fine sitting through a three and a half an hour game, but younger people don't. I think those changes will help people want to be here as well. Is this the night that it ends or do they keep it going after tonight? You know, I, I wouldn't count them out. Um, if Kelly was pitching tonight, guys, I would tell you that they're going to win. I mean, I have all the faith in the world of Merrill Kelly. He's a, he's a horse on the mound. He's just he's got an unbelievable repertoire. He's thrown five, six pitches. He gets ahead of, he gets ahead of you. Forget it. I mean, you're not going to get a hit off of him. I think that Gallon will deliver tonight. I think that Torrey knows he's going to have to use Thompson, Ginkle, and Seawall. And if he has to use them earlier, he's got to use them earlier. I kind of thought maybe yesterday, you know, once things got a little rocky, that maybe he should have used those guys early instead of saving them for late. I mean, you could have had Thompson come in in a third inning and pitch two innings. I mean, that's a, that was a must-win game, I think, in many ways. I'll say they'll win tonight and get it to game six in Texas. Well, and if they do, then you got your guy. Kelly back on the mound and and you know what's crazy to me though and and AJ and me have talked about this a lot Zach Gallon's a Cy Young contender the last few seasons right he is an outstanding pitcher in the National League contender the last few seasons he's we're doing the Players Choice Award show on on foul territory tomorrow like he's one of the candidates in the National League what's crazy to me is Merrill Kelly was looked at when he came back from Korea and even really this season now I guess he picked it up during the season here where Last year, you're probably like, oh, he's like a he's like a five, maybe a four. This year, you're like, eh, he's a four, maybe a three. In the playoffs, he's pitching like a one. It's just crazy that you said, well, if it was Kelly, I would feel better versus Gallon. When you think about that, like, it's crazy, right, AJ? Like, Zach Gallon's supposed to be one of the best pitchers in the league. It just shows how far – I think it says more about Kelly than it says about Gallon, though. I mean, he's throwing harder. He's got command of all of his pitches. It's just crazy to me because he came in the league and they were like, oh, he'll be a nice innings eater. No, he's been great. And uh, Zach Gallon, think about Zach Gallon. He's got over a five ERA in this postseason. And like, like John said, he's already thrown over 240 innings, I think, this year, which is, is a lot for anybody, especially in today's game. So I, I don't know that – I don't know that it's Zach Gallon, but he looks he his stuff isn't as sharp. He's throwing more balls than he's ever thrown, meaning he's walking and falling behind more guys. Maybe he's trying to be too fine. And I think the thing, and John can tell us because he sees him more than anybody, but he's always kind of been not his stuff has always been above average, but his control has been what has separated him because he can throw four or five pitches and he can put them in, in all everywhere in the strike zone on the edges. If you see in the postseason, he's either missing the edges as balls 
or he's missing into the middle of the plate and they're getting whacked. So for him, he has to be really fine around, and that's what he's been so good at. Maybe it's adrenaline. Maybe it's fatigue. We don't know, John. Maybe you can tell us. But Zach Gallon hasn't been the same Zach Gallon we've watched for basically two years in a row now in the regular yeah. season. I got on my notes from my show today. He's at 237 innings. Previous high was 184. So 53 innings more than he's ever thrown before. I mean, you know, you guys would know more than I would if that's a factor for for arm fatigue. The other thing is like against the Phillies, his fastball is going to get hit by by those guys. When Brandon Fott came in and was striking everybody out, he's got a little extra giddy up on that fastball. I mean, you know, he could raise it up there. And so I think he's more difficult to hit. He's got a, he's got a better fastball. It's more movement on it. Gallon's been great for them because he can move the ball around, up, down, hit corners, get ahead. He hasn't gotten ahead in some of these. He's fallen behind. He's just made some bad pitches. Um, look, they, they, they made a great trade to get him from the Marlins. He's been the number one pitcher for them. He's a Scott Boris guy. I know they wanted to lock him up long term, but Boris wants those guys to get to free agency. So they haven't been able to do with Zach Allen what they did with Corbin Carroll. And look, I love Merrill Kelly. I think, you know, he's just got that mentality when he takes the mound that he's not going to get beat, but he is 35 years old. Like I said, they tried for Montgomery, weren't able to get him. Tried for Lorenzen, weren't going to get him. Prices were too high. At that time, they were really struggling, so they didn't get that extra starter. It would have been nice if they had that extra starter, you know, a fourth starter. They didn't get it. So they're gonna. Have, I think they got some question marks going forward. Are you going to be able to keep Zach Allen when he hits free agency? Is that his goal, to get to free agency? Because if he does, you're going to lose him. They're not going to be able to pay him. Merrill's 35. How many more years can he dominate at 35? Fott's good. Some of the younger pitchers are good. But they're going to have to address this starting pitching going forward, guys, if they want to sustain this success and they want this to ride out for three or four years. Yeah, and I hope they do because, I mean, they've got something special going here, clearly. And it's it's a type of baseball that I, I think is kind of like the future and present now at this point. And it plays well, clearly, in the postseason. So, John, it was great talking to you. Appreciate it. Enjoy the game tonight. Good luck to the squad. You got it, guys. Thanks for having me on. Take care. Thank you. Yeah, you too. Uh, and we'll post John's info. Like he said, he's like, I hate social, but I'm all over it. So we'll post his info <laughs> if you want to give him a follow and check out some of those clips that we uh, that we just talked about here. So let's move on to what, what I think is probably like the most highly debated award decision this year in my mind. Okay, so we have the Players Choice Award show that is premiering um, tomorrow. Thursday, the off day, or it could be just the end of the season. And it is sponsored by Candy Digital, and it is exclusively here on Foul Territory um, on our YouTube channel. You'll be able to see the show. These are your Player of the Year finalists. So, And I want to get everyone's take here uh, if you're active in the YouTube chat. Player of the Year overall, which I do think our sport needs to highlight this award more. Okay, like the AL and the NL, they play against each other. Everything's mixed up. You can have an award for the AL and award for the NL, but can we have an overall like best player? That's what this award does. And it's Acuna, Otani and Betts as your player of the year finalists. So let's kick this around for a second. The winner is going to be announced in about 24 hours. Who should and who will win this award? And keep in mind, these are players voting for players. So if that helps to kind of steer towards where you think players are going to value these players, AJ, what's your prediction? And what would you do? What would you vote? Especially being that you're not in the league anymore, so you can't vote for yourself, but I'm giving you a vote. Shohei's going to win. I think Acuna should win, much like Aaron Judge won MVP last year over him because it took a historic year. The first 40-70 guy of all time. Didn't miss, didn't miss any time, played the whole year, played a gold glove caliber right field, has a cannon for an arm. Again, 40 homers, 70 stolen bases. Think about that. Never happened, never even been close to happening before. And it, it was a historic year. That's what it takes to beat Shohei. Shohei had an incredible year. Again, he had a historic year with pitching and hitting. But for me, the one way you can trump Shohei is, again, also for me, and this is me, the Braves led their division, won their division, won over 100 games. Lacuna hit lead off the whole year, was out there. Again, 40-70, never happened before. Shohei could win this every year. It takes a historic accomplishment. For me, Acuna did it this year. What about Mookie? Pratt, same question. <laughs> Mookie, played, Mookie played so many positions on a team. He led. They led their division. He's arguably the best player on that team. 
is Freeman a better hitter? It's obviously debatable, you know, but the value of being able to be, we're in a league now of that's void of superstars in general. Like teams want to build around, they want to build around these utility guys. He's the superstar utility guy. He is played so much to me, his value that he puts out there being able to play so many positions almost almost catches Acuna, but ultimately, whoever we're talking about for second place, it is a distant second place to Shohei in this in this race, in this voting. I would have a hard time seeing anybody besides maybe Orlando Arcia voting for Acuna. Yeah, I, I think it comes down to two players, and I think as we talk about this again, it's it's the player's choice. You know, this is between players that you play against them all year long, you battle against them, you're in the trenches. And I think, you know, for me, I think what the biggest thing for me when Acuna played in L.A. and had that dominant series and then his numbers speak for itself, I, 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 I would say Acuna would be the winner at the end of the day, but I think Shohei is right behind. So I, it go either way, but what Acuna did against one of the top teams and top players uh, and the numbers he put up historically, I, I think that bodes him well to be the outstanding player. You would have voted for Acuna over Shohei? Yes. AJ? I would have voted for Acuna. I already said that, but Shohei will win. I would have voted for Shohei. You're I'm especially Acuna. you're I'm a sheep Acuna on this one too. I need I need his I need history. <laughs> <laughs> I, for me, yeah, Otani can only lose awards like this. Obviously, he's got to put together a strong season. Also, he didn't finish the season, right? I mean, he had the injury. I know it was towards the end of the year, but it wasn't a complete full season. I, I think, and I'll, I'll look it up. But he ended up playing DH wise. What was he? Maybe a hundred. Thought he was at one hundred and thirty some games total. So yeah, he was. Let's see, one thirty-five. I think games played. Like I think you sit he there played and the whole just... year. One sixty-one. I think he ended up doing. I think he missed one game. So I mean, it, it was. Isn't this a similar topic from last year with Judge? I mean, I don't think no? so. Ju I don't Judge think so. was that that much above and beyond what you saw this year from Acuna. But I mean, and Judge... obviously what Otani did. I know Otani was better this year, but. Right. And he still missed some time. Yeah, who, Acuna, who, who let's see, eight Otani war. Otani missed time. Yeah, Otani missed time. Yeah, I mean, Acuna played in 159 out of 162. I mean, he led the league in a lot. OPS above 1,000. I don't know. I mean, I, I think a I think it takes That's a year it. like that. A, it takes yeah, a historic, historic year. year. Like Judge, 62 homers, and Acuna, 40-70. That's, that's the only chance you have of ever – as long as Shohei pitches the way he pitches and hits the way he hits, of anybody ever winning an award from him because, because of the value he brings as a pitcher and how good of a hitter he is, it's going to be hard for anyone to ever top that as long as, as Otani's healthy. And this year he missed a month at the end. I know it was just a month. But still, Acuna, the way his team played in the historic 40-70, again, something that's never even been close to being done, it trumps it for one year. Now, Otani could win this every year. He could have won it last year. You can make the argument against Judge, but listen, it takes special, special years to beat Otani. Uh, Jonathan but, Mayo, our friend's in the chat right now, too, saying, does anyone contextualize the historic nature of Acuna's year not taking anything from what he did, but it's easier to sell bases now with the new rules than in past errors. Maybe he gets 40-50 and belongs in the combo, but you know, he said, I've, I've heard much said about how the rule changes impacted him in the game. Yeah, and for the better, in his opinion. You yeah, only I play agree. the game you're you're told to play. Right, you, you got to play the teams to the you're rules. told to play, and you play yeah. to the rules. I mean, yeah, great. They, four and a half inches, as we know for Todd, huge difference. But I mean, it led to it didn't help him hit forty homers. And but, even if you dumb that down, like you know, in a, in a different year, if it if it's fifty bags, it's still for a forty plus fifty season is huge, and it's not like everybody stole 70 bags this year, right? Like, who second was Estuary Ruiz, who's like a kind of, I mean, that's really his tool. That's his one tool is just if he gets on base, he can run. But it's not like we had a bunch of dudes stealing 60, 70 bags, right? After that, it was a drop-off to who, Every, you know. Everything was up. List. 
but but like it was up overall like you'd, you'd have guys that weren't stealing much right like the guys who used to have like one two three maybe they had like seven or eight but it's not like we had 10 15 players in the league that stole 50 plus bags but if you compare it okay like apples to apples acuna hits 337 shohei 304 acuna 41 homers shohei 44 homers Acuna, uh, no, Shohei, 1,066 OPS. Acuna, 1,012. Acuna is not pitching. Both their defense, both their defenses were rated at the same, minus 1.1. Shohei never even played in the field. <laughs> right, he doesn't rate great on D. Okay. And, and Acuna I mean, didn't I- rate, rate well on defense either. That's what I'm saying. Acuna does. Obviously, yeah. Otani just gets docked on, on the numbers because he's just a DH. But I also think, I mean, when you watch Acuna out there in the outfield, do you think he is a below average defender? I don't. I don't think so. I, I think the gotta... metrics are off on that. But I don't think he's elite, but I think he's good. I think he's at he, least But he can do this, too. There. He, he can, can do this. Yeah. I, I don't know what it is. I'm, he, he probably gets dinged maybe on his, on his routes. I or maybe know, his accuracy but... of his throws. I don't know. I, I don't watch him enough. Listen, when, when I've some guys, when they vote for these things, players, I've seen guys look stats up. I've seen guys go by the eye test just playing. I was an eye test guy, man. I, I, you know, you kind of know what the guy does. You know, you hear about the 40 and 70 or whatever it is, but I'm an eye, eye test guy. I, I mean, most of the guys, like, you know, from playing against this guy and watching him play, this is definitely the best guy. And there's some guys out there that'll look up stuff left and right. So it just depends on what kind of person you are when you're looking up stuff and who you want and who you think should be the winner so you know i think most of them are like you know what this guy dominated all year i'm gonna pick him i don't, I don't think many of them are looking up that many stats mm-hmm. to, as, player, want, as players if, if otani if otani doesn't have the injury at the end of the year who do you want to start your next six seasons with shohei or acuna oh that's like the jordan lebron debate dude i would take o, i would take otani uh all day since he can do both you can't, say, you can't say that though if he didn't have an injury if he didn't do this if he, i mean no, if I'm, if and butts were candy and nuts it'd be christmas every day like it doesn't matter you can't say if he didn't get hurt would you take him well if Cooney didn't blow no, his no, no, knee no, no, out no, maybe no, you no. take oh, him. oh he's just maybe. asking it separately not related I'm just asking to the it reward separately. Yeah, for me, Otani, easy, easy. Well, of course, Otani. You always will yeah. take Otani. But I don't think Otani is going to put this season together every year for the next six years either. So I like my chances of Otani getting something done as a hitter and a pitcher every year. I just think I'm going to have more successful seasons on one front or the other. And also, yeah, I mean, we got to see how he comes back from another Tommy John surgery or whatever we call that, some mysterious elbow <laughs> you know, surgery. But yeah, I still take – I take Acuna for the next six – I mean, sorry. I take Otani for the next six years on my team. Who do I want? Otani, but this year, Acuna. Yeah, he was better this year. For me, for what I'm looking for, yeah, I I, I, I agree. I think it's close, and I'm I'm the guy. I'm I'm in that um, boat where I'm like Otani most of the time, you know. But I I do think we had back to back years where guys did stuff that you're not going to see frequently. Maybe Scott. I'm wrong. Maybe Corbin Carroll goes 47 in the next five years, and we're Scott. like, ah, everyone's doing it. <laughs> Scott, would you take would you take Shohei? Ronald Acuna Jr. or Luis Arise for the next six years? Obviously, Luis Arise. <laughs> I want someone that gives me a shot to hit 400. I want to bring that back. <clears throat> it's funny. You yeah. got, he makes me seem like I'm like the old man, and I hosted the analytics show on, on, on the MLB <laughs> channel back in the day. So I'm, I'm having an identity crisis, but on that note. Are uh, we role-playing now? <laughs> not without you there. Yeah, exactly. I'm not here. Um, watch our Players Choice Awards show special November 2nd, which is tomorrow, 7 o'clock Eastern time, premiering on the FT YouTube channel, which is right here, so you don't have to move. You can just stay on here. And also, Candy is your official destination for MLB Digital Collectibles. That show is sponsored by Candy, and they'll have some cool artwork involved with some of their digital cards that you can see in that show. You can collect, buy, sell, and earn rewards like meet and greets with MLB stars, game use gear, signed memorabilia, all involved there. And as a special offer for the FT fam, a free team pack for you, okay? You got to go to go.candy.com slash pack for a free team pack. Go.candy.com slash pack. Or if you're watching right now, the QR code is on your screen. Smash that, and you'll also see the link in the show notes on YouTube and on Pod. All right, so we're going to finish strong here. 
I've got one that I've actually been saving up for a while that I feel like is good timing. I mean, technically I could wait one more day, but I'm, mm -hmm. I'm going to show it to you guys so that we can at least get a look at how funny it is to try and predict in our sport. So let's slap. So this has been floating around on Mets Reddit, okay, when DeGrom signed. And, I mean, I wasn't going after him, but you just, you're just you used to a player signing in the offseason, and they're not going to sit there and go, yeah, I got offered the most money. So uh, he's like hearing the vision of what the Rangers wanting to do are wanting to do, bringing a World Series here is the goal. You know, it's DeGrom when he was asked why he signed with the Rangers. I mean, because it happens. Like, I think McCutcheon, when he was interviewed last time he signed, like, a two-year deal was like, oh, they gave me the most money. But most of the time, they're going to be like, you know, like, they sold me on the vision, whatever, right? So they just showed some some responses from people being like, <laughs> bringing a World Series to a team that is probably going to win 72 games, laughing my fucking ass off. Or if a World Series was the goal, you should have stayed with the Mets. I'd love a candid answer just once or how about rangers won't sniff the world series for the rest of your career lol and then that last one I, I don't bear him any ill will but off with the world series nonsense degrom went from a team that won 101 games to a team that won 68 games you can't do that and then pretend winning the world series is a priority hmm. Love that. that's just funny yeah. i mean whatever i i don't think I don't think most people thought that the Rangers were going to be bad for the next three to four years. That would have been a problem. They're spending a ton of money. They're, they're on the upswing. We, we saw that before the season started. I also don't think people said, oh, well, of course, Jacob deGrom left the Mets so that he could play for a team that's going to be in the World Series. So just if, funny how things change. If they win, do you think he's going to post all that online hell, afterwards? You, you tell me. You played with him. Hell no. Hell no. He's not going to say shit, right? That's why you don't do that shit. What? Talk shit? <laughs> Paul Seawalt, man. I'm He's... Putting on posting all the crap up there. <laughs> God didn't like that. All right, you got something for us? I thought it was great, by the way. I'll see you all stuff. Yeah, that's why I gave up a homer to lose a game the other day. Yeah, but no, look it's at not. That. One no, had nothing to do with the other. You don't, you don't speak before it's that's over. Dumb. That's no, dumb. That's no. dumb. That has nothing to do with it. One no. has nothing to do with the other. Okie dokie. People, <laughs> karma. You guys don't believe in karma. Go ahead. Wait, karma is all doing all the bad thought? things. Remember, you were like, I think the Phillies are going to. Oh, well, that was the previous series. So then the next series, the NLCS, they're down 2 0. They go to Arizona. Seawald comes on this show, and there's a few people that were in the chat that were like, oh, he shouldn't be on and he shouldn't be talking about strategy and whatever. And then how did that go? He saved all four games in the NLCS. They came back and won. That was great. Do you really? I just don't think it, I don't think it makes a difference either way. I, I'll take back what I said. It doesn't mean that's not why they lost. It's the not game, affecting performance. I, karma, karma comes back to haunt you sometimes. Okay. You, who's got the costume thing for us to finish? Who is that? Who's in charge of this? I don't know what it is. I just was told there's a costume. Oh, I did see this. This is actually the winner of costume of the year. If anyone picked this up, it is an out of state billionaire costume. Um, <laughs> included. Did, have you guys seen this? No, no. Uh, so if you want to dress up as John Fisher, owner of the Oakland A's and get oh. high fives from everybody, just maybe hang out in Oakland for, for a few hours and see how many friends you pick oh, up. Um, no one will recognize you because you don't show yourself or talk or do anything. You just own a team to try and make money off them. Cause that's really what is fun <laughs> about owning a team and being a billionaire, but included is $380 million in public money, an army of lobbyists, a lawsuit against teachers. Yeah. Look that up. That's fucked. Wow. Not included. Stadium renderings, MLB approval, sound economics, and private financing. That is that is a plus job by whoever that is. I'm not going to try to pronounce that one, but a plus job on the Photoshop game, or maybe it's real. Maybe that's a real costume. There's that been you can get. a lot of these, not that one, but examples of some some funnier things too as well. I guess it's like this ongoing thing online. You can make it up, I guess. So yeah, fill in the blanks good. there. That was nice. That was impressive. Or my cell shirt, or AJ has one too. Sell shirt works too. You have I it? I want to know what this whole lawsuit against teachers. Now I'm going to go down a rabbit Google hole. Google it. Google it. It's good. There's there's some, not not a ton of coverage, but there's some articles there. There you go. The teachers are like, hey, can we get money for education and not paying a billionaire who could pay for the ballpark himself? So just so you know. There you go. That's uh, AJ's shirt and what's on Kratz's head. 
Cool Father's Day Brew Crew hat. Nice. Nice. Is that blue on blue? Simple. Blue on baby blue. I like it. Good place. Beautiful. Well, that's it for us. But if you love us, then join us after World Series game five and six and seven, if it happens. And again, tomorrow we're on for our daytime show as usual. But then at night, if you're bored or missing baseball, the Players Choice Award show, and we'll find out who the winner is. Is it Otani, Acuna, or does Mookie Betts steal the show from everyone? So enjoy World Series game five, people. We'll see you for the next one. Hey, get in on the action with the FT fam at BetMGM. New customers use the bonus code FOUL, F-O-U-L, for a $1,500 first bet offer. Download the BetMGM Sportsbook app on iOS or Android or visit BetMGM.com. Sign up and deposit at least $10 into your BetMGM Sportsbook account. Place your first wager and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if the bet loses. If that bet does lose, your bonus bets will be available once your initial wager is settled. Gambling problem or concern? Call 1-800-GAMBLER.